Hi, I'm Piper. And I'm Erin. Welcome to Off The Tracks Podcast, where we explore what it means to do law differently. Today's episode is in partnership with Lawyers In-House. Lawyers In-House is comprised of a team of experienced former in-house counsel who are ready to hit the ground running to deliver world-class legal support that takes work off your plate and makes life easier along the way. Whether you're a solopreneur or a Fortune 500 company or fall anywhere in between, Lawyers In-House will meet and exceed your business's needs. Today, we are joined by Avi Weiss, founder of CounselWell, a community that supports the professional and personal development of in-house lawyers. Avi is also senior legal counsel at CoinSquare, an IIROC-regulated cryptocurrency trading platform operating in Canada. Avi, we are so excited you've joined us today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Excited. So, Avi... We have so much we want to dive into with you talking about counsel well, talking about your role working in-house at CoinSquare. However, before we do, we'd love to know kind of like the Avi origin story. Like, how has your career evolved over time? How did you get to where you are today? And if you could share that with us, that would be amazing. Okay, let's hope we have the time for this because it's a really (laughs) long story. Um, I started off my legal career as a 2L summer student at a mid-size law firm in Toronto. Uh, That was part of the OCI recruitment process and uh, really enjoyed that. They uh, hired us all back for articling and it was five of us. So I articled there and at the end of articling, three out of the five were hired back, not me, unfortunately. Um, And I just want to say at this point to any students who are listening, uh, who may be worried about their prospects, if not hired back after articling, uh, a really cool story is that Harry Delise, who runs Wildeboard Delise, um, I once read that he was part, he, he articled at a really large firm. I think he was one of 26 or so articling students, and he was the only one not hired back. So imagine what that does to your self-esteem, um, especially at the beginning of your career. And I just find it so fascinating that he then went on to create one of the preeminent uh, corporate boutiques in Toronto and, you know, obviously very successful. And um, so just a, a quick lesson to anyone uh, who, who's facing a setback that, you know, you could, you could do whatever you want after. So um, after, after not getting hired back uh, for, uh, after articling, I spent the summer trying to figure out what to do. And one of my friends told me about how one of the big firms uh, has an in-house doc review group. And so I applied there and got that job. And I started around the same time that everyone else who did get hired back uh, started as associates, right? So September after the summer. And I worked there for a few months and they were very clear at that at the outset, like this is not a feeding system into, into the firm as an associate. Like you are here as a contractor uh, this is kind of like a separate division of the firm. Um, so I didn't have my, I didn't have high hopes of, you know, landing an associate job within the firm, but luckily after six months or so, uh, my boss approached me and said, there's an opportunity within the pensions group to, uh, to do kind of like a secondment, like a six month secondment. So I didn't have a particular interest in, in pensions, but I figured it was better than what I was currently doing. And um, it provided more uh, more opportunities um, than you know what I was currently doing. So I said yes to that, and I joined that group, and um, it was it was okay. I enjoyed it uh, somewhat, and I got good experience. And after the secondment, 
ended, they hired me as a full-time associate, which is great. Um, but I think I, I, I was listening to a podcast of yours uh, the other day to try to prepare. And Erin was talking about how she started at a firm as an associate, um, but she wasn't like she she wasn't hired back from the other firm where she was. So she felt sort of like this imposter syndrome because everyone else in her in her associate class, they had summered and articled with the firm. They'd been there forever. They'd all been friends with each other and they all felt uh, she felt like she was kind of the outlier and didn't belong. And that's exactly how I felt at this firm um, as an associate. You know, anytime we did group associate activities, I always just felt like the odd man out. Um, and so I worked there for as, as an associate for another year or so. So collectively, I was at the firm for maybe two years. And then I saw an opportunity to join CoinSquare uh, as legal counsel. And so that was really exciting to me. And we, we can get into to why that was exciting later. Um, and so I applied to that job, got that job, worked there for almost two years before I left to join uh, a large fintech in, in Toronto. Um, and I was at that fintech for seven months before I got fired. Um, so here I am exposing myself. Um, and so this was like the second you know, big setback of my career. And um, I spent the next few months after that happened uh, building up Councilwell because oddly enough, I had the idea for Councilwell the night before I got fired. It was really, really, really bizarre how that happened. Um, so I spent the next few months building up the company uh, as well as obviously applying to jobs, um, which only takes up a certain amount of time per day. And then um, CoinSquare reached out to me a few times and asked me to come back. At first, I did not want to come back. It's kind of like going back to an ex. But I ultimately came back first. I, I returned first as a contractor as on a part-time basis. And then um, I kind of like got into it and got back into the swing of things. And then uh, I came back as a full-time employee. That was two and a half years ago or so. Um, and I've been there ever since. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Avi, because um, Piper and I talk about this often, how people tend to sort of just like, gloss over and show you the highlight reels of their lives. And it can be really easy to look at it and be like, wow, you had this impressive role and then you had this impressive role. And so we really thank you for uh, sharing, you know, no, actually it was kind of tough. I had this really great idea and then I got let go the next day and, oh, it was kind of tough going back to this uh, old employer and um, sort of sharing the, the sort of sticky parts in between each of those um, changes and not just like the glossed over version. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, that is something that we would love to hear a bit more. Oh yeah. What it was like, you know, leaving coin square and then rejoining and then how your position evolved, obviously beyond a, a title change. Yeah. I, I left coin square because at that time I felt like my career was a little bit stagnant. I didn't feel like there was a lot of growth. Um, and a lot of learning. And so when that happens, you kind of get that itch and you just want to explore something new. And so when I saw the job open up at the other company, I, you know, quickly jumped on that opportunity. Uh, and it was, it was sad to leave because I did have a lot of, you know, great colleagues and friends at, at CoinSquare, but I, uh, you know, I had to take care of myself first. And I thought this was the best move for me. 
Um, and then seven months later, you know, as, as I said, they, they let me go. And I spent the next few months really reflecting on my life and my career and basically questioning every single thing that's ever happened in my life. Um, and then uh, jo- rejoining, like I said earlier, it, it, it's a bit of a weird feeling to come back to a company that you once quit. Um, but you know the 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 reason it was different this time was because the entire company had changed. Um, executive team is completely different now. Uh, the legal team is completely different, and so. I am now in a position where I am learning and I am growing and I feel like I'm I'm best positioned for success which is what you need when you're when you're in a job you need to feel like you're you're properly positioned on the chessboard and you're you know you're you're put in a position where you're learning and you're growing and you're you're actually applying the skills you that you in particular have to the problems that you're facing so it's working No, that's awesome. So, okay. I think sometimes, you know, there's this perception, like people, uh, you know, maybe like around, I mean, people go in-house at all stages of their career, but I feel like there's like a large in-house, like exodus to go in-house sort of at that like middle, like maybe three year, five year kind of people either go right away, or I feel like there's maybe like certain points where they make the jump. And obviously like I'm overgeneralizing, but this is just my perception of things. What would you say to someone curious about going in-house who's maybe like scared to to make the leap or doesn't know enough about it? Like, what do you enjoy most about working in-house and what would you say to someone curious about exploring an in-house opportunity? It's a great question. I'll start with what I enjoy most about it. I mean, there's really a lot of things. Um, One of it is the being, the the proximity to the business that you have when you're, when you're in-house, you're working alongside the business people and every company win is a win for you. Um, and it's not like you do a deal or you, you know, engage in something successful with the company and then you don't hear from them anymore until the next thing comes along. Right. Cause you're, you're actually working at the company. So that's one of the, the elements. Uh, another thing I really enjoy is the autonomy. This is probably the thing I like the most um, just being able to, schedule my life the way I want to. Um, yes, I work very hard and, and going in-house, you, you do need to work very hard and it's not the cushy job maybe it once was 30 years ago. Um, and that's a myth that, that some people still at law firms or still in law school believe. Um, and it's mostly not true. But while you work hard, you have more autonomy in most cases than you do when you're at a, a large firm because you're not dealing with a billion different clients and all of their demands. And you're not dealing with the crazy competitive streak that everyone else has within the firm um, and and the billable hours and and all of that. So you you have more autonomy. You can decide during the day if you want to go out for coffee. You can, you know, if you you can tell yourself, okay, I'll I have this work to do, but I'll just do it at 7 p.m. tonight. And that gives me time now to, to run this errand or whatever. And so that control and flexibility is really liberating. And I, you know, I want, I want everyone to feel that way. And it's just, it's just, uh, it, it makes me feel really content to be able to have that. Uh, so that's another thing. And then uh, another thing I love about working in-house is just the diverse set of skills that you learn when you work in-house. I feel like when you're at a large firm, 
you've got a few core skills that you're honing and developing over time. Uh, you've got, let's say, the, the substantive area that you're practicing, um, the, the, the core substantive skills around that area. So let's say drafting, reviewing, uh, you've got collaboration with your team, um, your client, client communication and business development. So those are the core skills. But when you're in-house, you've got a bunch of different substantive areas. So in, in a lot of cases, right? If you're a generalist in-house lawyer, you've got to know a, a little bit about everything. So you've got to know employment law, privacy law, corporate law, commercial law, uh, consumer protection law, marketing, compliance, all of that, plus all the non-substantive skills um, that, that are core to an in-house job, right? Like legal project management or time management and collaboration with key exec leaders and um, other people across the company and learning about what everyone else does. So there, there's a, a diverse set of skills that you kind of learn when you, when you go in-house. So that's what I love about it. What would I tell to someone who wants to go in-house is, I, I mean, this is kind of cliched advice that, that everyone says, which is just go talk to people who are currently doing it. That's the best thing you can do because a lot of things look shiny on the outside and you always have to kind of dive deep a little and figure out what is their day-to-day -day life look like. That's part of the reason I left uh, the firm I was at because I looked at the partners and I didn't particularly want the lives that they had. Um, not to say they don't have amazing lives, they probably do, but not, it's not the lifestyle that I want. And so you just really have to look at what people do day to day and you, you have to ask them not, Hey, you know, like, uh, let's go out for coffee. Tell me what you do. It's more like, tell me what you did yesterday, what you, you woke up, you had your coffee. And then what did you do throughout the day at like, you know, task by task, I want to learn about it. And um, if you if if the, what they're saying resonates with you and sounds good, then maybe it's a career you want to explore. Once you get to that place, there's a, a lot of other roads you can take in terms of what type of company. Let's say you've already decided you want to go in house. There's a billion different in house careers, and some careers are as different as being an accountant or a doctor. Like it's you, you could work at a big bank or a startup, and they're completely different careers. So. Once you get to the place where you want to work in-house, there, there are other questions you should be asking yourself. Yeah, that is a really great way to think about it as well. Like, what are people doing day-to-day -day in their tasks and not just what is their job title or um, the, the overall big picture? And then sort of drilling in because, like you said, there are so many different in-house jobs and different ways to practice in-house law. Um, and it really comes down to the, well, my understanding, <laughs> here I am saying it really comes down to, uh, as if I've ever worked in in-house, but my thoughts are just from talking to people on, on, on the series and, um, talking to people who have, who have worked in-house is that it can really change from, uh, brand to brand or company to company and, and what the environment is in that industry. Uh, in particular, sure. because, you know, working in-house for a mining company is going to be very different than working in-house for a small, I don't know, like, uh, technology fintech. company. Yeah. Or... Anything, literally anything else. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's important to sort of think about those, the minutia of the day-to-day, -day, but then also, like you said, the, the type of environment that you want to be in also. And I a hundred percent agree um, that having that flexibility to work when you want to work is just 
Oh my gosh. So the best. underrated, like the best, <laughs> um, like, yeah, the absolute best. Um, and I'm very lucky that I also have that flexibility right now to, you know, I'm going to a yoga class after we record this. I'm super stoked about it. And then I'll work later this evening. So I a hundred percent agree. Having that flexibility is clutch. That's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks. So we would love to know a bit more. We know, you know, it happened, you know, the night before you were let go, but what was that inspiration that led you to create Council Well? I was frustrated. At at that point, I'd been working in-house for nearly three years, and I was frustrated about the lack of resources that in-house lawyers had available to them. Um, And when you come from a big firm environment, you have every resource possible. Whatever course you want to take, the firm will pay for it immediately. Um, whatever area of law you want to learn more about, there are a billion people doing that within the building and you just go to them and ask. Um, within your own area that you're practicing, because you're so junior, there's a lot to learn, right? But then you've got partners who could help you and senior associates who could help you. So there are so many resources. And then you, obviously you've got all the all the staff that are so helpful. So I, I felt like, you know, as an in-house lawyer, there weren't a lot of resources available. On top of that, I also felt like the in-house career choice was viewed as uh, kind of like a second-rate career um, in the legal community. And I think that perception uh, starts as early as law school, where everyone is just talking about Bay Street and the big firms, and no one is talking about in-house. Like, I've never once heard someone talk about that career uh, while in law school. So. Um, I wanted to kind of fix all of that and provide a platform for in-house lawyers to not feel so isolated, to feel like they're being spotlighted, to feel like they have an opportunity to contribute themselves to the legal community. Um, And so it started back then in the early days, it started as online courses for in-house lawyers. And the idea was there's so much CPD out there, but why don't we create CPD that is tailored to the in-house counsel perspective? Because you could have a course on privacy law, uh, let's say Osgood PD, a certificate in privacy law. But when you look at the brochure for that event and you see that it's tailored to in-house lawyers, privacy professionals, private practice lawyers, um, tech people, like it's it's tailored to everyone. And so I thought, why not create really hyper-specific privacy law courses and other courses that where the instructor basically says, here's the law or here's whatever it is, the skill you need to learn, and here's how to apply it as an in-house lawyer. So that's how it started. Uh, And I was doing that for, I had eight courses on the website, and was doing that for a year and a half or so. Um, But then last May, we ran our first annual summit, which was virtual because of COVID. I wasn't, I I was too scared to uh, commit to an in-person event uh, that might be closed down. So the first annual summit was virtual last May. And at that event, I learned that in-house lawyers want a lot more than what I was providing uh, initially. They want the connection. They want the networking. They like the learning and the CPD stuff as well, but that can happen after. First, you need to create and cultivate a community um, where all of those connections happen and form. And then they provide the value to each other as well as um, get the value from the company itself. And so uh, that's when I decided to entirely pivot the company. And I spent last summer 
completely revamping the website, revamping the offering, and relaunched in September of, of last year as a membership-based community of in-house lawyers. So you pay a one-time fee, a, a yearly uh, subscription fee, and you get access to everything we have. So all the recordings of all the content we've ever done, um, access to our member-only workshops, access to our in-person events, half off our annual summit, which the, the next one is going to be in person in September, um, special discounts on legal tech, access to our Slack community, uh, free postings on our job board. And that's what we have kind of right now. But every day I'm thinking about what can I do to add more value to the community? Um, what And anytime an in-house lawyer says, uh, why don't we do this maybe, that's something that I strongly consider and, and do my best to, to, uh, to include. Okay. So Avi, I just, I, I'm so interested in this. And I think what's so neat is you really created, like you filled this gap in the market. You filled this niche. You saw this issue from experiencing it yourself, feeling kind of like left out of the conversation. And yeah. now you're building building this community, but, and doing amazing work. Like you're making such an impact. However, it also seems like you're working two jobs. And, um, as someone, myself, I, I myself work two jobs and I know that that is very challenging. And I would love if you could share a little bit about how you balance these two things and, and what drives you to continue both. Great question. Um, first I would say to anyone considering having a second job, I think it's advisable if the two jobs are complementary to each other, because then they feed into each other and you could actually be more successful at each because of the other job um, and not in spite of the other job. And so, so that's the first thing. And so, you know, it, it for, for me, as an in-house lawyer, I benefit from all the content that we produce at Councilwell. So if we're putting on an event on a substantive area or a skill that you need as an in-house lawyer, I can then go back to my legal team at CoinSquare and say, hey, this is what I learned. Let's implement this, right? Um, and vice versa, right? Because at CoinSquare, I, I see all of these issues with being in a legal department and um, helping run a legal department. And I can feed that into Councilwell and say, okay, maybe other in-house lawyers are feeling this way. Let's put out a program on it. Uh, so that's the first thing. Second thing, in terms of balancing both, it's nearly impossible. Um, and I, it's not for the faint-hearted. I, I wouldn't recommend it unless you really, really are motivated to, to be successful at both because you, you, you need that. Um, I wish I could say I had a structure. Like I work 9 to 1 p.m. on one job and then 1 to 9 p.m. on the other job. but when you're a lawyer, you, it's impossible to have that type, like that level of structure. It's just nearly impossible. So the way I do it is I just, what CoinSquare basically always takes priority. Um, so, if, so, you know, as you know, most legal careers, there's ebbs and flows. So when CoinSquare gets really busy, counsel will kind of takes a backseat and I only get to work on it a little bit out of the day. Um, when CoinSquare gets less busy, then I just like go all in on Councilwell. And so it's kind of like sprinting, then, you know, resting for a bit and then sprinting again. Um, and then over time, you get to see the compounding effects of what you've done. Because sometimes it feels like, oh, I just, you know, worked a few minutes on this. Like, is it really going to do anything? But 
after a few weeks, you really get to look back and see, well, all of this is on the website now. It wasn't there before. All of these events are coming up. They weren't, they didn't exist before. Right. So um, that's kind of how I balance it, but it's, it's tough. And Avi, it's just you running Councilwell, right? Yes. For right now. And you're also a parent, right? Parent of two small children. Yes. So that's like a third full-time job, hey? Basically. Yes. Third full-time <laughs> job. Um, yeah. In a, in a two-bedroom apartment where my office is in the main area. And lots of times we've got both kids running around, jumping on my desk. So, yeah. Are your kids in school or not quite yet? There, yeah, one is in school, one is in daycare. Um, but uh, you know, one of them comes home at 4 p.m. So that kind of like kills the, the late afternoon. Um, but then both kids are usually sleeping at seven, and then I've got freedom to to do whatever I want from that point on. Okay, okay, wow. So Avi, you talk about like I totally understand when you when you talk about like you know, council while having to take a backseat sometimes. I personally like lately just feel like I'm constantly failing like I cannot keep up and it is just um it can be really hard when like you're really passionate about something and like passionate about what you're trying to grow and do but you know you you also have this full-time job that that has to take the priority and so I guess you know you you touched on a little bit like what's coming up for council well um you're hosting your annual summit in person for the first time. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what you're dreaming up for Councilwell's future and how you see it moving forward? Yeah, uh, so I I am hoping that in the next couple of years, um, Councilwell becomes the default membership for in-house lawyers. So right now there's, there's another organization that a lot of people join because it's the default, because there, there really aren't any other options. And so... Um, I want to become that, but become that in a way that not only is it the default, but people actually are really enjoying it and they're really happy with the membership and they're renewing not because the the company they work for is just paying it and it's, you know, but they're actually evaluating every year and they're saying, I got a lot of value this year. I want to join again next year. Um, So I want to get to that point where most in-house lawyers in the country um, and starting off in Canada, but hopefully, you know, eventually can expand to the U.S. and the U.K. Um, but where most lawyers in the country that work in-house are members of Councilwell. Um, and I want that not only because obviously it's like good for the business from a financial point of view, but also it's amazing for the community because every single member that, that gets added to the community makes the community more valuable because now this is another person who has unique insights, perspectives, experiences that can share those with the community and, and everyone can help look, can kind of help each other and learn from each other. And then once we get to critical mass, we can start doing things that are right now impossible, like have subgroups, right? We can have a crypto group and an agriculture group and a food and beverage group and, and all these different groups where not only are you part of the larger community, but you're also part of this subset where you could meet, you know, and, and we can facilitate meetings monthly or quarterly or whatever it is where you can learn from people who are working at companies very similar to yours in industries very similar to yours um, and who have specific experience that is directly beneficial to you. So, so that's what I hope down the road. 
Yeah, that is very cool because I have to admit when we were running through your intro, I was like, what in God's green earth is an IROC regulated cryptocurrency trading platform? Like, it's just like so far over my head. I And Piper had to look it up for me what IROC stood for. Yeah. Is, is there, and I was like, I'm going to sound like an idiot. Is there like a, do you say it like IROC? Is yeah. there like, a, it, it, yeah? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Because I was like, that has got to be like a subsect. Like everyone that works in-house definitely doesn't know about IROCs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, eventually you could have a subgroup of of IROC dealers who yeah. um, have to do a lot of compliance work and, uh, you know, deal with the, the IROC rules. And um, yeah, that, that, could be, that could be another type of subgroup down the road. Yeah. Okay. So kind of bringing your own advice back to you um, about, you know, how important it is to talk to people about what their day-to-day life is like and what their work really looks like. What is the work like at CoinSquare, the way you work there now? And what is the legal department sort of structured like now? Because we know from, um, company to company, it can really change and there can be, you know, massive teams, uh, there can be smaller teams. And sometimes there's even subsects within um, the in-house council at these different corporations as well. So can you tell us a bit more about what your position is like? For sure. And, and now I'm realizing that this is kind of a question that was asked earlier, how has my career evolved over time since rejoining? Um, so right now, starting with the structure, we have a three-person legal team. So there's the general counsel, uh, which I, I know we were talking about, you were talking about titles last time with Aaron. Um, general counsel, chief legal officer, kind of the same thing. Um, uh, so then there's me as senior legal counsel, and then there's our our legal counsel, who's I think a 2019 call. Um, and then we have an external clerk that we use. Um, so we have four people basically on our legal team. Um, and actually right now we have a legal intern um, from the University of Ottawa. So just any in-house lawyers listening to this, um, you can get interns from, I, I don't, I'm sure other universities do this as well, but the, the law school at University of Ottawa has a program where you can, they basically send a student to you um, for an unpaid internship, which I, I hate unpaid internships because I think it's not fair, but in this case, there's an exception because they get credits out of it. So there is there is a transfer of value there. Um, but yeah, it's great for any legal department that's looking to kind of like fill a gap uh, temporarily. So, so that's the structure of our legal department. And what I do day to day is really different. And, and I think this goes back to what I love about working in-house. Every single day is different. Um, and I'm never doing the same thing over and over again. So I do a little bit of everything as a generalist. Um, so when we're evaluating... Uh, relationships that we want to build with other companies, vendors, suppliers, um, you know, they send over their contract and it's up to me to review it, mitigate the company risk, make, make sure we're being put in the best position possible, uh, negotiate the agreement and, and get that signed. Um, there's also some employment issues that we have to deal with, unfortunately. Um, in some cases, it's, it's, you know, not about a layoff, but in other cases it is. And um, so, that's uh, another element of the job. There is uh, privacy work to be done uh, from time to time. 
There is uh, marketing work sometimes where our company wants to put out ads on Facebook or Instagram and uh, they need to get vetted by the legal team. Um, and as an IRF dealer, they also need to get vetted by our compliance team. Um, and uh, then th that's kind of like more of the substantive work, but there's a lot of non-substantive work that I have to do all the time. Um, in like right now we are onboarding a CLM, which is a contract lifecycle management tool. So this is a tool that's going to help us uh, record all of our contract data uh, and enable us to see where our contracts are at, at any point in time. Like we can get a snapshot of how much are we paying monthly? When are the renewals coming up? Things like that. Because um, right now we're basically relying on Google Drive and that's not the best way to do things. Um, so, so that takes up a lot of time and there's, there's no substantive law on that, but that's just part of the job. Um, there's also, you know, stock option work that I do, uh, it, with, in, in collaboration with the finance team. So tracking stock options, issuing shares to employees who are exercising or issuing shares to other individuals or entities, um, that are subscribing for shares. And, and then every once in a while there's M&A work. So whether there's an acquisition or, or something like that, um, and, and that's when you kind of going back to like sprinting and relaxing, that's a, that, that, that's a sprint. That's kind of what I do. Okay. So Avi, all this is so neat, but I want to jump back to something you were talking about earlier in your answer. You were talking about having that uh, legal intern and you were talking about them being unpaid. And in my last semester of law school at the University of Windsor, um, I did what the university, uh, what the law school at the time, and I think still does, called the uh, calls the externship program. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, uh, you'd had like a 14 week internship somewhere and the places you could intern at varied, like they weren't all in-house. Um, but mine was, I worked uh, in the legal department at the city of Windsor for, for, sorry, I said 14 weeks. It was like the whole semester, however long mm -hmm. the semester is for 14 hours a week. And it was for credit. So you would go and do the 14 hours a week. And then once a week, you also had a three hour seminar. So it was like actually 17 hours a week now that I'm like thinking about it. Um, but it was so a lot during school. It was a lot. And, um, but it was so worth it and really, um, you know, really interesting. And obviously like it was only one snapshot of what working in house was like, but definitely like if a student is listening and they have the opportunity to do that, I think it was really neat legal experience. And it, even if you like it or don't like it, like there were definitely aspects of the work I really enjoyed in that specific legal department. And there were aspects I was like, oh, please don't task me with this today. Um, I feel like everybody has that at almost every job, but regardless of sort of what the legal department you might be in is working on. It's such a valuable experience uh, and really like knowledge is power. It equips you with so much knowledge of like how different systems work as you head into your career. And so it's great to see like multiple schools doing that. And I think yeah. it's like such a good lesson, especially for some smaller legal departments. Like you could reach out to a school and see if they you know have a program like that. And if not, maybe they would make one because what I've learned in my current role, um, and just also like from being a student, I, I keep, I want to say like not too long ago, but I, every, with each passing day, it's longer and longer ago is like these law schools compete to like be attractive and like offer the best programs. And so, um, yeah, these internship programs are really valuable and, and definitely help students with their career. So that's really cool that you guys have an intern and it totally makes sense that your tasks 
very day-to-day because as you've said, and as other guests in our in-house series have said, like working in-house is all about being part of the business. And even when you moved back to Coin Square, like the business had sort of evolved since you'd been there in this in the seven or so months you'd been away. And so um yeah, it's really neat uh to see sort of like how business and law intersect in a non-corporate law group at a law firm way. Um Avi, we so appreciate like everything you shared with us today. And we always like to end the podcast with the same question, which sometimes throws people off. So I'm going to preface it and it can be, it doesn't have to be law. Your answer does not have to be law related. Uh, It can truly be anything. We would love to know something new that you've learned recently. Maybe something new with your kids. Maybe, you know, you watched some crazy new TV show and learned a really fun fact, whatever it might be. Uh, great question. Um, so what I, what I've learned recently and what I've, what I'm continuing to learn as I prepare for this summit in Toronto in September, uh, and I'm not just saying this as like a plug for the thing, cause it's not even up yet. So you can't even buy tickets even if you wanted to, um, it is just how hard it is and how much goes into running an event. Um, this is like the biggest, the largest scale that, that I've ever attempted to, to, do a project on. And, um, there's so much that goes into it right now. I'm looking at a contract from the venue that we're exploring and I'm looking at all these different things, uh, like the cleanup fee and the, the SOCAN fee and all, all of these. And, and this is how much room we have. And, and this is, if you, if you get this amount of people, we're going to go in this room and this amount of people in that room. And that's just like one very small element of the overall event, because you've got to get speakers, you've got to get sponsors, You've got to make sure you're giving enough value to the sponsors so that they want to come back next year. But you also want to, you don't want the speakers to feel like it's a sponsor event. Like you want them to feel like it's for them also. And so you've got to play both sides in a way and give both, give benefit to both sides. Um, And, and then, I don't know, there's just so much to do. And uh, that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm learning recently. And every day I'm, I'm learning a new thing about, about this and, Luckily, I've got six months to to plan and market this. Avi, do you use like um, what's the word? Aaron is maybe better at this than I am. Like a project management tool, like Notion or Asana or something. I tried using both of those, and I really struggle with them because I feel like there's so much work that has to be done at the outset to get the use out of it, and I I kind of want to fast forward to get to that point already without having to do all the heavy lifting. And so every time I try, I, I just give up and I just use, you know, Google drive and th- that kind of thing to, to track. You yeah. were, you were speaking my language last year. I was trying to learn notion in a very, very, very high stress time for my business. And Aaron kindly sent me like a third, this is the sign of a, I mean, one of the signs of an amazing friend, Aaron sent me like a 35 minute video she recorded <laughs> of herself trying to teach me how to use Notion, like doing a tutorial. And I watched the video and gave up. I'm so sorry, Erin. I watched the video. No, it's okay. I also have given up on Notion too since then. So like no hard feelings. Like I just couldn't keep up with it. I had it like pretty well organized, but then it just like, I never ended up using it. I don't know. I'm always on the hunt for the next cool little thing like I was all about Marvin recently but I've given up on Marvin but Marvin and I are going through a breakup right now 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to uh, to get accustomed to these tools, but that's why the people who sell Notion templates, like they they usually Ooh, do very yeah. well, right? Because lots of people like us, they just want to get to that next step. They don't want to put in the work that that the experts did, right? And so they're willing to pay to get to that next step. Like, I'm coming to these tools to like reduce my stress and reduce my right. workload. So when it like adds more, um, doesn't work for me. I've recently been like for the past two to three weeks, been on a massive Asana kick. I just hired, um, an, an administrator in my coaching business. And so she's really gotten me on Asana, but like I'm using like just like the main screen to-do list. And she's using like all of the tools that, I really admire that she knows how to use. Um, and now I've started using it like in other aspects of my life as well. And so I feel like I'm currently in an Asana phase, but I'm not sure how, by the time this episode comes out, that could totally <laughs> I think once you add a, another person to your team, that's when these tools start to become really useful um, for collaboration. But when you're a solopreneur like me right now, I, it's just like, I'm doing all this for myself. Uh, like who, who's going to see this? Uh, me. So I just, you know, I, I give up easily on that. I, I totally, I completely agree. I mean, this has been such a treat. We are going to link all of the things about council wall in the episode notes. And so when registration does come out, which I'm sure will be sometime quite soon, spring, summer, when are we thinking? The next month. Oh, the next month. Yeah, well, the next month. This episode, when this episode comes out, everyone listening now is like, the episode is out. What are you talking about? When this episode comes out, the registration link will be up. So we will put the registration link in the episode notes. We are so excited. Thank and you. Um, so everybody should save the date. It's September 13th, 2023 in Toronto, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Amazing. And um, Avi, thank you so much for being here and sharing your perspectives. We so appreciate um, all of the candid stories you shared and your perspectives. And we cannot wait to see Council all become like the absolute benchmark for all of in-house lawyers, the programs they use, the tools they access. Um, and we are just such a fan of you're really shaking up and the legal profession and really advocating for doing law differently. So thank you so much. Thank you both so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you again to our partner, Lawyers in House, a law firm composed of former in-house counsel. To learn more, visit lawyersinhouse.com to see how they can provide insightful, pragmatic, and solutions-focused legal services to you and your legal department.